another episode of Talking Movies with Matt. On today's show, we will be discussing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. This was a very surprising movie for me because it was the first of the Marvel movies that wasn't centered around the Avengers cast. So this was kind of an all-new storyline, all-new character. I mean, it's outer space-specific and not outer space-specific like Thor was, where Thor took place a lot on Earth, and it was a character that we were all very familiar with. These are all newer characters, and let's face it, in the Marvel Universe, the Guardians of the Galaxy weren't overly well-known until the movie came out. Like, I remember one thing about them before the uh, the movie was released, as far as, like, I didn't even know there was that long of a comic history behind them, but the first Guardians of the Galaxy comic was 1969. So, I mean, they've been around for that long. It was kind of cool when this came out because it was a newer idea. The wonderful James Gunn directed it. He also co-wrote it with Natalie uh, Nicole Perlman, sorry, And Nicole was the first woman ever to be credited for writing a Marvel screenplay. So that's kind of cool. And then uh, we know James Gunn going on to do Volume 2. It's such a successful franchise. And when I say successful, and this is for a newer idea, you know, don't forget that. Uh, Movie had a $170 million budget, which is huge. But it's gross worldwide with $774 million. (laughs) Now, as far as that is huge that is insane now we routinely see um, comic book movies from disney do over half a billion dollars that's normal right now but look at the movies that are doing that it's avengers type movies it's those characters even black panther guardians of the galaxy this was before a lot of that and you're sitting here going man they did they pulled in you know three quarters of a billion dollars for their worldwide gross that is insane it did so well that Disneyland retrofitted and redid their Tower of Terror ride and is now the Guardian's breakout ride. It's done so well that Epcot in Florida is now redoing the Ellen's something of energy ride. You can tell how well I know that one. And now it's going to be one of the world's longest indoor roller coasters. I mean, it's spurring all of this amazing stuff through the Disney company. So I'm very happy to see that. And we had a wonderful cast, too. I mean, we had Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, Dave Bautista, Vin Diesel, Bradley Cooper, Lee Pace, Michael Rooker, Karen Gillan, John C. Riley, Glenn Close, Sean Gunn, Peter Serafinowicz, Benicio Del Toro, and Josh Brolin. And the list goes on. There's more than just that in this movie. I mean, there are so many wonderful actors, the writing, the directing. It was really one of those perfect superhero movies when you really think about it. Because it also introduced the first, like, truly funny Marvel movie. Like, now there was humor in all the other ones. Lots of really good humor, underlying humor, especially with the Iron Man movies, just because, you know, Tony's character. And even in the Captain America movies. But this movie was really funny. I was laughing out loud in theaters and, and, and sitting here at home. What was so cool about this movie, too, is it actually introduced who has quickly become my favorite Marvel villain. And that is Lee Pace playing Ronan the Accuser. His vil- or his villainy, his acting in this, it's just so good. And he did such an amazing job in The Hobbit, too. He was King uh, Thranduil, who is Legolas's father. He's the king of the woodland elves, I believe is what they call themselves. He is such an amazing actor, and he did so good as Ronan the Accuser. And I am so excited to see Ronan back in Captain Marvel. 
it's going to be amazing because Captain Marvel gains her powers from the Kree. And we know Ronan is one of the Kree overlords or whatever they call him. You know, so it's just going to be this amazing uh, re-up with Lee Pace as Ronan the Accuser. Now, I'm not 100% sure how much he's going to be in the movie, but he seems to be more or less the main villain cast. So I'm hoping that we're going to get a lot of Ronan. Uh, it seems to be that uh, he did so well in this, they decided to bring him back. And it also helps that the movie is taking place in the 90s. So uh, they can bring him back as almost like a prequel to his character in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. And, of course, this movie introduced us to one of the best opening scenes ever. And uh, it partners with Volume 2, which also had one of the best opening scenes ever. And I'm talking about the opening credit sequences that James Gunn put together for both of his movies. And specifically this one where you see Star-Lord Peter Quill, played by the awesome Chris Pratt, where he's dancing, listening to his Walkman, and he's going through this beaten-down government-building mausoleum-type thing on the planet Morag. And he is just dancing away, sliding through the water, beating up on these little rat-rodent creatures. And you just see the cast and credits and everybody's names flashing across the screen. And then they did the exact same thing in Guardians 2, but we get to see the adorable baby Groot dancing instead with this massive battle going on behind him. So uh, the originality in the opening of this movie, while uh, you all know I'm big when it comes to hooking the audience right away, and I do uh, do that in my books as well, where I want that first scene, that first thing that my readers read is just going to be this awesome sequence where they're like hooked and then you start telling the story afterwards and that's what kind of happens here is they really just kind of hook you and their dance numbers honestly now guardians uh two there was more action but it was all focused on baby Groot just being adorable and dancing to music in this case, we just have Star-Lord kind of introducing you to his personality being this kind of this goofy everyman who just happens to be a uh, space pirate, also known as a Ravager. I also respect the commitment that the actors put into these roles. Like Chris Pratt, we all knew him more or less from Parks and Recreation, but uh, and he was always a bigger guy. He dropped 60 pounds in six months to get into shape for the role of Peter Quill's Star-Lord. So the fact that he just, and now you see him as he is, now he's an action hero, and in such movies like the Jurassic World series and Guardians of the Galaxy. So it's just the commitment that he uh, put into this movie really shows on screen. And that's what I like from uh, the actors and, and the directors is when you can really see, you can feel it in theaters when there's extra going on behind the scenes and extra commitment and extra want and love for this movie or for the, the movies that they're doing and for the, for the screenplays and the scripts that they're going through is, is they, they really feel it and that conveys to the audience in a big way. Uh, like Dave Bautista, who we all knew, or at least I knew as Bautista, who was a championship wrestler for WWE, he was so moved when they hired him to be Drax that he broke down in tears and immediately hired an acting coach. He had done these little roles in like some of these you know, small part B movies, but now he is a legendary superhero, Drax the Destroyer, and he does the role so well and being completely literal through the movie, like he doesn't understand jokes and he doesn't understand like euphemisms and he doesn't understand metaphors. It's just it just adds to the flavor of the movie. He was just he was so believable as his character 
and the emotion that he can convey in this uh, movie when he's talking about losing his family. And then in the second movie, when he, him and Mantis are sitting on the steps and she touches him and she starts weeping. And you see Drax just sitting there, you know, quietly. And she's reading his emotions being an empath- or, uh, empathetic. Aye. The, uh, she's, uh, she feels his empathy is basically what her power is. So it's just him being able to convey that on screen with the makeup that he's in is incredible. And it really shows you the commitment that he put into the role. Just like, you know, the makeup is really makeup. That's not CGI on Drax, on on Dave Bautista. It took up to five hours to do that. You know, they narrowed it down to about three, but they said on average it was between three and five hours every day of filming that he had to go through makeup to get uh, the tattoos on and to get the skin color and just everything in general. I mean, that's incredible. And they said he didn't make a sound when he did it. He didn't complain once. He stood there, took his lumps, and look what it did for him. You know, he, he's known to be very cool behind the camera and very uh, thankful. And now he is living the good life because of it. So that's really cool that uh, a, a person like him who had already been so successful in his life got to take the next step. And before, when I said uh, Lee Pace's uh, Ronan the Accuser is one of my favorite Marvel villains, uh, I guess my second favorite in thinking about it now as I'm doing the podcast is definitely Michael Keaton's Vulture from Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, it, it, it was just awesome. And seeing Michael Keaton as a Marvel villain was just perfect. I just, I, I don't know. It, it just, it worked so well. And uh, seeing Lee Pace as this Marvel villain was perfect too. There's just certain roles that these, uh, the villains especially are very, very important. Uh, just like Tom Hiddleston's Loki. So it, it just, you get these these actors to play these roles and they work out so well. And then when they don't work out well, guess what happens? They're not believable as a bad guy. And speaking to the commitment of these characters in this movie and the actors in this movie, let's not forget Zoe Saldana and Karen Gillan, respectively Gamora and Nebula. Zoe Saldana wanted makeup and prosthesis on her face. She did not want to be CGI'd over. She wanted the physical role of being Gomorrah. She didn't want to be hidden behind a computer, which shows you, how, I mean, how easy is it to have the little dots all over your face and then they just scan you and put your face on later. But she didn't want to go through that. She wanted to be on camera live. And Karen Gillan went as far as shaving her head for the role of Nebula because we know that she's blue and bald. Again, showing the just the commitment to these roles was fabulous and we know how committed she was to jumanji welcome to the jungle with the fight training that she went through and the martial arts training that she went through so it just again it's that's where the characters become so undeniably believable as the character that they are portraying or the actors become believable as the character they are portraying on film and it helps it really really does help I can't say enough how much I appreciate what these actors went through and what the actors do with their fame with this, too, like Chris Pratt. During the filming of this movie, his costume, his Star-Lord costume, mysteriously went missing. Well, it wasn't revealed later that he was the one that stole it. And the reason he stole it was because uh, there were a few local children's hospitals in the area, and he decided to pay some of the kids a visit in his Star-Lord getup, and the only way he could get it off campus was by stealing it. I just... I absolutely, I can't get enough of Chris Pratt and what he does off camera. His speech at the, I think it was the MTV Movie Awards. If you haven't seen it, look it up. It was unbelievable. I think it was like the, the 10, 10, 10 things, like advice from Chris Pratt. It was just perfect. It was just so unique and so original. 
and so memorable. It went viral online. He's just, he's such a great guy. And I just, I love following him at Pratt, Pratt, Pratt on Instagram. He's a really great follow. I definitely uh, suggest you guys go ahead and get on Instagram and follow Chris Pratt. In relationships behind the camera is a big thing too. In real life, James Gunn is best friends with Michael Rooker. And he loved Rooker. He loved Michael Rooker as Yandu Udanta so much that instead of killing him off at the end of Guardians 1, which was the plan, he's like, I, we have more for Yondu. We, we got we to gotta, like, get him a, a larger role. So they included him in Guardians 2. And of course, we know his role in Guardians 2 is just pivotal to the story. He did such an amazing job. And if you don't know a lot about the comics, which I didn't know a lot about the comics at all until watching these movies and then looking them up as the last few years have gone by. But uh, Yondu was actually one of the original Guardians of the Galaxy when uh, it was in you know the inception in 1969. So it, it, in this case, he's a mercenary with a uh, you know black heart. But it, you find out why instead of delivering Peter Quill like they talk about at the beginning of the movie or in the middle of the movie, they kept him. So it's you find that out in Volume Two, and they kind of hint at it at the end of Volume One where they you know they talk about uh, Quill's dad. Uh, and you know how he's a, uh, well, he, they just say he's a jerk, <laughs> you know, trying to keep this podcast as clean as possible. So it's just, his character was wonderful. And instead of having that big classic Mohawk in the first movie, they gave him the little red one to control his arrow, the sentient arrow, which I just think is one of the coolest concept weapons I've seen on film. And if you know the comics, he was actually an archer. He wasn't, he was like a Hawkeye archer. He didn't have this whistling sentient arrow and thank goodness that he had it because you get some of the best theatrical sequences with a cgi arrow and it's it's him whistling and controlling it and then watching the arrow fly through the air and when he's at the like towards the end of guardians one when he's taking out all of ronin's troops on the ground with it and then in guardians two when he uses it and him and rocket are going through his ship and uh, taking out all of the uh, all of the ravagers that turned on him, it, it's just it it made for such great scenes in the movie. So I just I can't get enough of the sentient arrow. I also have to applaud Vin Diesel for his work as Groot. Now I know that sounds funny because he only says three words through the entire movie, and then a fourth words we instead of I. But he recorded I am Groot over a thousand times for this movie doing different inflections, different emotions, different languages, because in all of the international versions of this movie, it is Vin Diesel's voice. It is not dubbed over by another actor from that country. Vin Diesel actually said, I am Groot in other languages, so it would be him on film. He wanted his voice to be on it worldwide, which is just so cool. This was also his first role back as an actor after Paul Walker died. And he said it really saved him mentally because Paul had become one of his best friends in life. And once he died, it was just a dark a dark time for Vin. It was good, he said, because it, it, it kind of slowly brought him back into the limelight, in, you know, into the bright lights of Hollywood because it was all studio work for him. And then eventually he got out and did all the, the press for the movie. It was just, you know, it was kind of cool because you don't really get to see a human side of a lot of these actors, a lot of these people. All you see is them acting on stage. They're professional liars, more or less. But, you know, they're showing us a side of them that isn't real. You know, they're acting. 
So when you can really see the stories behind some of these actors while they're going through the making of this movie, it really does make you appreciate the movie more. And there's other sequences like we were talking about with uh, other movies with improv, especially on the last show with Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. Obviously, I mean, this cast, I mean, you can tell there's so much improv going on. And it was really cool to see, like, when he's in the collector's, uh, when he, I should say, when they, when the Guardians are in nowhere in the celestial's head, severed head of a celestial god. I just, that was so cool. As soon as you see that head, and then they fly into it and how massive it is. I just thought that was insane. But uh, when they're inside meeting Benicio Del Toro's uh, character, the Collector, and he holds out the orb and he drops it, Chris Pratt really did drop it. He didn't mean to drop it, but he stayed in character, and James Gunn thought it was so hilarious that they kept it. That's just cool. Because, I mean, that really is a funny part of the movie. And it does look like he accidentally dropped it. It didn't look like they planned on him dropping it. It was just, and then the booking sequence, which is a famous sequence where they're showing you each individual character being booked in jail and all their information is being read by John C. Riley and Peter Serafonowicz, um, who play like the, uh, they're basically police officers in the Nova Corps. You know, those that remember, uh, Peter Serafonowicz also played Stanley with a C from Couples Retreat. Oh, such a great character. And then, of course, him and Vince Vaughn had the Guitar Hero battle. So, anyways, yeah. And then John C. Riley, of course, is John C. Riley. They show the the characters being booked in jail. And the scene, the famous scene, scene where Chris Pratt flicks them off with the little crank box, basically, that was all him doing it. That was just, you know, him going, hey, I got an idea. Let me try this. And then, of course, it worked. Then we also had the line, if I had a black light, this place would look like a Jackson Pollock painting completely improv. I mean, who, who comes up with that line as a writer or, you know, it, it's just unbelievable. And, uh, you know, uh, feel free to, uh, explain that to your kids. If you're listening to this, to them with this, you know? Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> what was also cool about this was Quill's cassette player. It's an iconic piece of, you know, uh, you know, it's an iconic movie prop now. And it was actually the Sony TPS-L2. It was the first personal cassette player released in 1979. I didn't know that. That was so cool. I mean, the history behind just the little cassette player. And uh, what I also didn't know is the cassette player was actually originally called a Soundabout, but it was eventually changed to a Walkman. That was so cool. And now there's this run on uh, vintage Walkmans for collectors. They're, you know, like we see saw with, uh, not to the same degree, but, you know, with Jurassic Park, you got an uptick of paleontology in universities. And then with Raiders of the Lost Ark, you got an uptick in archaeology in universities. You know, now you just have collectors looking for Walkmans. Not exactly the same thing, but it's kind of cool how these movies can uh, play a role in real life. Another thing that's funny in this movie that they don't actually ever explain, which I think is why it's funny, is his ship is called the Milano. Obviously, it's Alyssa Milano, and they've confirmed that it's Alyssa Milano was the inspiration behind the ship, the Milano. I just think it's funny that it's never explained in the movie series. It's it's just the genius behind James Gunn and the other characters. And I also like to uh, peel back the curtain while I'm doing these recording processes, just so people can kind of understand what's going on uh, while I'm sitting here doing this. I thought it would be kind of fun if I would, right now I turned my microphone so I can see my bookshelf. And in my bookshelf, I have, I don't know, I'm going to say 50 Funko Pop dolls. And if you don't know what that is, just look up Funko Pop, F-U-N-K-O 
P-O-P. As soon as you look it up, you'll understand what I'm saying. I actually have more Guardians of the Galaxy paraphernalia than any other movie series. Uh, It's kind of funny. They take up an entire shelf. Like right now I'm staring at Adult Groot, Rocket, Star-Lord, Drax with Baby Groot, Mantis, Nebula, Ronan the Accuser, Taser Face, and then Ego. And, of course, I'm also going to say Taserface from Volume 2. I, I cracked up laughing so hard when him and Rocket were going at it. Uh, but that's besides the point. It's not just these movies that I love, but it's also the memorabilia behind it. And, like, I am, like, the collector. I do collect a lot of strange things. And uh, I have these Funko Pop dolls all over my office. We also have a shelf in our entertainment unit out in the living room with all Disney-inspired ones, whether it's cartoon characters or not. Uh, the only Disney ones I have in here that are cartoon is uh actually i think i only have one left and it's hades from the animated hercules you know james woods hades so that's just uh one of my favorite disney villains so i kept that in here but we have a bunch in a uh in a cabinet out in the living room so yeah it's not just the movies it's also the memorabilia that i love and i'm sure if you've seen the uh many pictures that i post of my office you can see my back wall is the uh four current indiana jones movies the movie posters those if I can help it stay up as long as this office remains an office, you know, it's just, it's something, it's inspiration for me uh, because that's where it all started for me as far as a mil- uh, movie fan and a, a film fanatic. And as a writer, it all started with those movies. So I, uh, like I said, I just like to kind of peel back the curtain and say, hey, you know what, this is, this is what's around me right now while I'm recording. I also have the Lego Milano. So yeah, I have that. My wife got me that, and I was thrilled because it was so fun to put together. I also have Lego Wally staring at me. So yeah. Anyways, <laughs> that is kind of uh, what's around me while I'm recording this. So uh, yeah, and I, uh, you know, I actually was watching Guardians One this morning in my office. I was watching it last night. I have this little TV in the corner of my office that I uh, watch movies on, mostly movies that I plan on talking about. So uh, that's fun too. You know, it's it's enjoyable to just sit here and have a movie on in the background. And to continue with my nerdy fandom over this movie, uh, Blue Suede's Hooked on a Feeling. Yeah, I mean, famous song. Obviously made even more famous for the newer generation because of this movie. It's been my ringtone for about a year and a half now. The hooked on a feeling. I'm believing. You're in love with me. There you go, Chrissy. Yeah, my uh, that was for you, babe. That's uh, my wife, um, Kristen. So she loves it when I sing on the podcasts and uh, blare through your sound system. So I hope you have a really nice subwoofer because this uh, this voice is coming at you at high decibels. Uh, yeah, I'm such a dork, but uh, I love doing this stuff because I can just sit here and do it and do it and do it. The only other thing I wanted to talk about before I got out of here was actually Sean Gunn, which is James's brother. Uh, most of you know him now as Craglin from Guardians 2. He was in Guardians 1 as well, but he played a bigger role in the second movie. What you may not know is that he actually did the physical acting for Rocket. I know that's kind of funny to say because Sean's like six foot-ish and Rocket isn't. But he is actually, if you watch the making, he's actually on film in the bodysuits in like, you know, the, the neoprene blue whatever they call it. I don't know what they call it, like a mocap suit, basically, with the dots. And he is actually playing Rocket in real life, physically. That was kind of cool, how that uh, they had a real actor mimic and play the the physical, well, raccoon, 
And then, of course, it was voiced by Bradley Cooper later in studios. So I just thought that was kind of neat. I wanted to give Sean his due. And then later in the series is Craglin. It's just a wonderful character. And uh, I can't wait for Guardians 3 because you know you're going to see Craglin with the Mega Hawk, as I like to call it, which is Yondu's big red mohawk from the end of the movie. So as far as if Drax actually catches him after he stabs him in the chest with the sentient arrow, I don't know. But I can't wait either way. And thanks for listening to another episode of Talking Movies with Matt. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and on SoundCloud and rate and review the show. Please tell your friends. Uh, I am doing this for fun. This is just me wanting to talk about movies and having the ability to do it by myself in my office. Nothing more, nothing less. This is just me trying to have some fun. It's a hobby for me, so I really do enjoy it. Um, but it is nice to to gain a new audience, a, a bigger audience. And you know what? I just I I don't really want anything more than that. I really don't. I really do enjoy doing this. Now, would I like to be able to do it more and more and do more episodes per week? Sure. But uh, I am happy that I can at least get an episode a week for you guys. In the last few weeks, I've been able to do two. So uh, this will definitely be my last episode of the week. And um, next week, we'll try to get two more out, maybe just one. We'll see. Again, I have no idea what the movie is. I usually figure that out maybe a day, day or two before I actually record. So there is some uh, last-minute note writing. Like, I literally have two and a half pages of notes just for this show, and you're talking under 30 minutes. So I have a lot of notes written down that I go through, and I just, like I said, I really like being able to do this. I always have a few movies on the, the in the back of my head that I'm like, man, I really should talk about those, but I try to, I kind of want to like, uh, like I want to talk about Spider-Man Homecoming, for instance, just because I, I watched it last night with my wife, but I know I just did Guardians, and I want to try to space out some of the Marvel stuff because there's so much of it to talk about. I literally could just do a podcast on Marvel movies, but I don't want to. I want to be able to do some older movies. Like I want to talk about Hellboy. I want to go back and talk about Independence Day and what it did for me as a movie fan even go through the original Fantastic Four movie with Jessica Alban and friends. So there's just certain movies that I, I just, I really do enjoy and I do want to talk about. So uh, let me know um, how I'm doing anyways. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just, you know, follow me on my personal pages and uh, let me know. So uh, thanks for listening and have a good one.